Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of Keen Minds. We're covering NBC's The Blacklist. This is Season 5, Episode 21, Lawrence Dean Devlin. My name is Jen, a.k.a. Takata Cycle. And I'm Tessa. And we've had a little bit of technological issues here tonight, so bear with us if we get a little clipped. We apologize. Hopefully we've uh, got everything shut down on our computers except for Skype. Yeah, well, it goes it goes with the uh, with the episode a little bit. Aram Aram couldn't really go many places with his tech, and he had at the end to rely on his instant, and he got jump on the on the uh, on the car and actually found some R. So he we're did. good. I yeah. I completely misheard you. Instead of instinct, I heard angst. Ink, <laughs> like angsty. Oh, that's what you got in your head. You got angst in your head. I always have angst in my head. What are you talking about? Mm. Well, I no, live off just, of angst. My bread and butter. Instant, yeah, instant. Uh, how did you, you like the episode? Um, for where we are, I liked it. I thought it was a very well written episode. Well. Mostly well-written episode. Um, all the details were nice. I thought it was a bit extreme in parts, but that's... Whenever you add a bear, I have a personal thing that that becomes a little over the top. Um, <laughs> so I told you before, I need to have this conversation. Let's get it out of the way here at the beginning. Um, years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, a friend of mine that I used to co-write with all the time, we were both reading... It was a, uh, For anybody that watched White Collar, it was a White Collar fanfic that we found and watch one of our listeners have written this 10 years ago. It'll be hilarious. Um, we found this white collar fanfic where the main character, Neil went through all of this crap. It was like, he drank 12 bottles of wine, not glasses, bottles, got in a car, somehow managed to actually turn the key in the ignition and start it. You know, if I had 12 bottles of wine, and he wasn't unconscious. Yeah, he, yeah, he's actually conscious, can drive apparently. Somehow drives off a ravine into a ditch. Um, I, I feel like he was impaled or something. I don't remember. Maybe that was just the Samar thing coming in there. It's been 10 years. My memory is not great. Um, ends up at the bottom of the ditch, and there was a bear. And at some point in the story, the bear got a point of view scene. And so there became a long-running gag between... The, the friend of mine that, that I used to write with and, and me, where we said when some, when it, things were over the top and there was just a lot of stuff happening and then something else happens. We went, oh, all that in a bear. Okay. And that became the joke. And so I'm sitting here and poor Samar, so much has happened to her. She's been through so much, which is just in great deal the heightened reality that we deal with in Blacklist. It happens. All this stuff is happening. And then all of a sudden, the guy starts getting mauled outside of it. And I went, no, no, this is not happening. And then you see the bear. And I go, all that and a bear. And the roomie isn't here this week. And so I'm sitting there screaming into the void with the cats looking at me like I'm crazy, going, nobody understands what I mean. <laughs> it yeah, was great. Was all that and a bear. I, I love the bear. In a Ron's he, reaction, he's just a bear. That I mean, that, that I tell you, of all the, there were two things. The Red's comment about the penis 
to the uh, to the giant uh, <laughs> bouncer. Was, okay, I've been really negative on Red, and that was, uh, and I I was angry at him most of this episode. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That and and was like you know people who have whose neck are bigger than their head. They have a this this uh, you know people think that they're stupid. So how about going against a stereotype? I mean, and then you get the bear, and and it was great. I mean, it was because that's what the blacklist does so well with injects this humor into an over the top thing that in other shows it would be like, come on, give me a break. They're in the bottom of a ravine. They've both been impaled by objects. Um, they're likely going to just die of starvation or eaten by the rats, both of them. But I was and, really surprised the rats never bit anybody. Like, but they were they were they were drowning. Well, they were drowning and they were moving and like she kept swatting them away. Like, but they never actually bit her, and I was shocked. Um, but you know, the bear, the bear was a little more intense. Yeah, well, the, once the bear went in there, probably the rats were like, "Oh, snack!" Yeah, oh, but it, it was hilarious. I I was I the floss after I eat. Thank you for that mental image, Tessa. <laughs> Things that my nightmares will be made of, right there. The bear flossing with the rat tails. <laughs> Yep, Welcome to Keen Minds, uh, folks. <laughs> we have gone <yep>. this far. <laughs> We're, you know what? This is the, the 21st episode of the fifth season, and we've gone for 22 episodes with the bag of bones. It's, We're done. Our, our brains, they're turning to mush. Too many bones. Yeah. It's too many like bones. Four it's too versions. Many I don't know. It's episode. It's, we've had like five canon facts in the entire season. And that's what uh, yeah. Jennifer's return. Jennifer returns yeah. and we still don't have much. It's like. Yeah. And, and now we got a bear. So, yeah. the bear. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling so, you, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep on with that. You guys are going to start hearing that more out of me. I'm going to bring that into my everyday thing. All that in a bear. I hadn't yeah. said it in probably a couple years now. It's going to come back. I'm going to make it a but thing. But we got a bear. All that in a bear. Well, I gotta start also by saying, do you remember when we did the podcast after nine five oh nine and she said blissful domestic boring and I said, Oh my god, they're so going to kill one of them. You've been saying that all season. I just really want you to stop saying that because so far Samara's still alive. Not breathing on her own and minimally conscious. And okay, so <laughs> She might survive. She, she might be okay. She may be I thought, it was, an, for the rest I of thought it was a nice way of maybe saying maybe that's what happened to Katerina after she tried to kill herself. I will say, oh my gosh, another coma? Really? In the same season? Well, we got a lot of concussions this this. I okay. don't know if you noticed that. That's another thing that I've noticed that it's really interesting because up until maybe this season, no, up until the end of last season, People were getting hit over the head all the time. Tom Keen. I think we talked about this last week. Tom mm-hmm. was getting hit over the head all the time. There was just so no was stopping Liz it. and Wrestler. Exactly. Oh, Liz and Wrestler were getting, I mean, you want to talk about issues that move forward when you have, you know, the, the, um, the blast from an explosion. I mean, you can have internal bleeding after that. 
But I mean, yeah, they they've been in explosions, they, you know, and nothing has phased them. They just pop back up and go shake their heads off, get a little dizzy, and go, "Oh, I'm okay," and they move on because that's what TV does, and that's fine. We 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 accept that as a heightened reality, you know. It's, by the way, that's not how it medically works, but you know, we accept it because that's the TV reality. And then suddenly, latter half of season four into season five, it's like you get a concussion, you're dead. Laurel Hitchin got hit her head. She's dead. You know, Elizabeth Keene hit her head. Oh my gosh, she's in a coma for 10 months. And that's just, it's continued on and on and on. And it's, I, I don't well, know what to make of that. Um, I think it's an interesting thing. It's something to keep in mind because there were some things. And, and if you want, let's go in a more organized way. I mean, it's crazy now that we have a bear, but <laughs> we should try to keep to a structure even with right, a bear. Right, right. Yeah, it, Tessa said that I'm in charge of the structure, so we know that we're all doomed. I apologize, everybody. Let's start in with the Blacklister. Um, so what did you think of the Blacklister? I love the Blacklister. I mean, how can you not love a Blacklister that feeds a, that has a carefully wrapped in paper so it doesn't get frost uh, in, the, in, uh, in the freezer and takes a baby's hand or a kid's hand and feed it to the rats as a little snack until they can get to the meal of Samar. I don't remember who it was, but someone goes, uh, someone I was talking to goes, why are they feeding the rats a, a plastic hand? I'm just sitting there going, I don't think it's a plastic friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's because it looked like, you know, there were supposed to be, you know, blood and tendons and bone cut well, off. It had been, yeah, it had been like frozen. So probably. Yeah, I mean, but that was supposed to be a child's hand. Yeah. I was a little. Well, he was disappearing. He says, I know you would disappear. You keep a little hand here. I mean, you could keep a part that is not so easily identified as a, as a hand, though. Although I imagine that once the rats get hold of it, it doesn't matter, you know. It's like the mafia with the pigs. Um, but this, I found it interesting that this is, we're seeing a lot of repeated things. And we have gone off a little bit of doing um, parallels because we're both very peeved to do parallels. Parallels require a certain level of of, um, of happiness with the show that uh, we haven't had in a while. But I thought today, since we're almost ready to learn of the identity of the bones. You have more faith in them than I do. <laughs> I would just like to point I, that out. I until I know until I know the secret, I don't believe them. Uh, you're not alone, apparently. But um so we've had we have crazy people in the woods. We have the front, the Kenyan family, the this crazy cult of New Haven. Um, we have had, again, people obsessed with cadavers, death, and disappearing. We got the stew maker, the, the crazy person in the Mombasa cartel that was skinning them and making them into uh, stuffed friends. Uh, that's the saddest thing I've ever seen. And the mom is just like, oh, this is the best one of all of them. Yeah, lady, you're crazy. Not um, mom of the year. No. Plus, that was a secret child. So there's a secret giant in the woods skinning people and putting them around a fake uh, or a very real um, fire in the woods. So, but we also have Kate Kaplan, who was also obsessed with cadavers and death and found cadavers uh, appealing. Other people obsessed with disappearing death. So this is another person. Another. Uh, this is the second blacklister obsessed with reptiles or bugs because we have the apothecary. 
Um, in the front was also experimenting with the bubonic place, also had rats. That's how they get to it. So it's funny that in this episode that that uh, um, some Amar Aram finds them by finding by through the rat the rat they they use to get them to to find them. That in this episode is the rats are going to eat Samar, and um, and I love the fact that this this blacklister was like so matter of fact, like he you know so he doesn't. Ca- like, I have that in my notes. How casual he was. I, what I the part that I love more about the blacklister is when she gets out of the car and she tries running, and you could see that she was in at the top of her game because. She had had a big, I mean, she got hit on the head. She, I thought that she had been injected. She hadn't. No. She just had been in the head so hard that she took all that time unconscious. And can I just say that, in, like we just talked about a few minutes ago, there are some, sometimes that you kind of, you know, give and take a little bit with TV, that you you expand your beliefs for television. Mm-hmm. But at that point, that's that's coma level right there. How long she was out? She was not injected with anything. She was just unconscious. Mm-hmm. That's not how long you're unconscious. If you're unconscious that long, you're you're in a coma. And so, well, it, it wasn't. I mean, it felt like it was a lot, but he just fell when it into from D.C. to Pennsylvania, dropped the girl, and then proceeded to his farm. And then he just needed to pick up the rats, frost the hand for a little snack. And then uh, go on to to and but what I was saying is I love the when he gets in there and says, now see what you've done now I'm going to sever your spine so you can't run and then I'm going to let the rats eat you alive. Uh, you know it's like that's your fault. I mean you you earned that by yeah, he was, escaping. He was so creepy. Like I, there was something severely off. I think he was a very well written blacklister for that. Yeah. And and he joins, you know, a bunch of other scientists that go bananas because he was just studying. He's one of those people who are basic for and essential for the forensic science because he's the one who who does the experiments on cadavers to see what changes the composition that allows people to know where this is how you um, this is how you get a a black that that's you know that's three months in the woods. Mm-hmm. Four months in the woods or three months in the water. That's exactly how they do it. But this, he joins um, Frederick Barnes, uh, James, um, uh, what was the name of, of um, Covington, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Sanders, Linus Creel, Julie, uh, Julian Powell, Adrian Shaw, crazy doctors doing crazy stuff. Well, it's that line between genius and insanity. When do you cross it? I mean, even Whitehall. If we'd gone further in Redemption, we would have seen where does Whitehall cross that? Mm-hmm. You know, that you have this man who breaks quantum uh, qu- quantum computing. Is that what mm-hmm. they... Yep. I, quantum. I, it's so above my head. It's not even funny. Um, but the, he, he breaks this supposedly unbreakable, you know, system and so he's just off the charts brilliant and you know these things that he can create could save lives could change the course of the you know of the world and and beyond Mm -hmm. and so but he had also been kept in solitary for months and would have been kept there for years if scotty had had her way to mind didn't seem to mind which is a funny thing although he did say that he'd rather just to to die in his own bed 
He yeah. just. I, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Not... If we continued on with with Whitehall, it would have been interesting to see if he joined the ranks of the of the crazy scientist. Yeah. Um, I found also interesting. This is a second fixture they put in. They have Dev, they have Prescott. Uh, the third concussion that we're seeing in the show, because Rhett also got concussed from the from the. Th- I feel like they made a much bigger deal of that. I'm kind of waiting for that to have something down the road because I'm like, you just you highlighted that so much. It almost has to be more than. Yeah. This is how we kept him on the ground because he wasn't really staying on the ground for it. Or this is how we kept him out of Liz's way or what have you. Mm-hmm. It, but something I feel like there has to be more about to that. that. There is uh, somebody in, in, in um, uh, Tumblr, uh, Iron Destiny Police, oh, she's been collecting a list of medical imagery. And it is pretty stunning that in almost every single episode for the seasons that she has done, that has been a constant. Um, yeah. Another thing that I notice that is going on is the drowning water theme seems to be coming back. So I think we're circling back to Katerina. I hope so. Uh, I, I yeah. was well, telling it, someone you know, the other day that I had always sort of just taken for granted that Katerina would come back. And at this point, I don't think – like I, I'm not banking on that anymore. I'm I'm so disillusioned with so the show. That's, that's what they – that's probably what is coming back. And think about I it. We got so. the Kingmaker. The Kingmaker wife, remember that, that the Kingmaker, the Chandler, that he drives off the bridge? Yeah. And, yeah, as a publicity stunt, basically, and the wife dies mm-hmm. in a vehicle. They couldn't get her out, and she dies. Uh, we got Vanessa Cruz with a fake drowning. We got Katerina that walked in the water. Lady Ambrosia's son that was killed. It was a perfect son instead of the defective. Even baby Christopher Hargrave that was, you know... But nobody the, knows what happened to him except that he. Well, was, okay, maybe that's just like my deep, deep head cannon because, your, like, he yeah. he. Sorry, that's when the head cannon crosses over. Uh, well, I mean, he disappeared that's off what a I beach. Don't read in a lot co- of facts, fiction. Huh? That's, that's what why, I don't yeah. read a lot of fiction. Well, I live in that world. Um, but no, I mean, think about it. If it, if they had actually finished out his story, then you know, it it probably would have gotten to that eventually. The, I don't think it was. Uh, there was a drowning. I well, I know that that's your head cannon. I, I we don't know. All right. I mean, I, we I, don't know. He disappeared off a beach. The man couldn't swim, and he was a very Lisa very couldn't swim. I doubt that he couldn't swim. I have a feeling that he, for some reason, he didn't want to swim. I don't know what that was about. It was never. It was dropped. Yeah, it was a drop thing. Uh, but we have uh, Liz and Kirk in the water. Kate jump off a bridge into the water. And the Kilgannon Corporation, there was a bunch of people that drowned in a boat. So we're, we're getting imagery, like, repeated about water and drowning, drowning. Um, it's very interesting. We've got the body parts. You, we started with fingers, one for Carla, two for Leonard Cole, three for Pete. And now we got a whole hand. Uh, we got tongue, teeth, um, the fake body parts sent to Berlin. It was it was very interesting bones. as a blacklisters. Oh, the bones! Yes, the bones that arrived. Various it's bones. Various bones for Berlin for uh, Carla with with she was fighting back with bones, yes. and also of course the bag of bones. 
Yes, the bag of bones. So I think it's very interesting that we're circling back. And again, that was one of my gripes with the season. And up until probably around episode 12, I was still pretty excited about the show because I felt that there was a lot of things that weren't precisely being said, but that were intimated with the parallels. But it got to a point where it was like, you know, you're, we're drowning here in parallels, but not a single fact to be had. Um, so that's what I started getting peeved. But now I'm hoping that something will come out of it. I know she's giving me the look like, boy, you are so trusting. Yeah, I'm just I'm going through the uh, the stages of grief in my head and denials coming up because I've been there and I, I'm currently li- not. Now, what, what what would the stage be where you've accepted that this is a horrible reality, but you choose to live in another? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think that's the one I just created in the stages of grief. It's a whole new stage. It's the one <laughs> I've created. Is the one I'm staying, damn it. <laughs> I have my own universe. I have created it. Now leave me alone. <laughs> um, that's what you get when you're a writer. You can do that. Um <laughs> I thought it was a very interesting blacklister. The, the, as usual, the actors they choose are phenomenal. I mean, he did crazy so good because it was like you could see, you know, the crazy scientist. It's perfectly fine. I use my rats to, to talk to find out what happens to dead bodies. It's all in the aid of science. What's the problem with you? So I take a couple of cadavers here and there. Who cares? Um, and nobody seemed to understand that the poor man is just doing that in the pursuit of science. So let's just, let's go into Samara. We've talked a little bit about her. Just, it was nice because I know a lot of the complaints online last week were she's massage trained. She, she's a proven badass and suddenly she's getting knocked in the head and knocked out by this guy that is, should be theoretically out of his prime for, you know, beating down trained operatives. And, you know, there were some complaints about that last week, which my, my statement was that, you know, people get caught unawares. It happens, you know. And I feel like after this week, it was very, you know, th- that's more acceptable. That, you know, like it just was a one-time incident. It's not like she kept getting beaten by him. Um, the only question I had was when she took off running, uh, I loved using the flare. That was clever. The- and that was going to, to Liz using the flare gun in the guy in Alaska. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's nice. Um, but using the flare, getting out, and, and taking off running, I don't... I, I know she was grabbing the stake to use against him, but why mm-hmm. did she stop? She had such a, a head... Uh, a head start on him, and she if she kept running and deviated, she would have lost him. I think that that the head injury was severe. I mean, if you, I mean, I know that the, this may be the way they were trying to make it, but to me, it felt. I, at first, I, I the first time I watched the show, I was like, wait a minute. I mean, this is this Mossad, Mossad train operative. She shouldn't be uh, knocking this guy and not taking his gun after knocking him down. Um, she should just be taking the gun and shooting him. Then the second time I watched it, and I actually went back and I watched when she gets taken the previous time, she gets knocked on the head really bad. 
So I think that there was a part of it that, and that may have contributed to the fact that she drowned um, or that she was without oxygen, is because her brain was not really well. She was not well. Um, she 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 kept trying. Like she would kick one side of the van, and then she wouldn't. She could have made some headway there if she had kept that one, but she wouldn't go to the other one. And she would try something, and there was something in the way that she was playing it, like she couldn't keep the stuff together. So I think that that the whole thing was, and this is where the head injuries, I think, are coming in, that these people with head injuries, they're, they're going around and they're not quite okay. And I think it goes to Red, because Red was having peculiar reactions in this show. I, I found him um, callous to a point that I had never seen it. And I'm probably one of the rarest, biggest fans. This was a little... I have this down in my notes, and so we, we should get into this with Red. But yes, yeah. I, I, I thoroughly agree that there is, there's been a... A, cali- a callousness thing, is nice. A callousness is a good way of putting it. It just a levity about him, and it's even before the head injury, though. Ah, uh, maybe not. Uh, no, no, no. It's after the head injury. No, no, and- it was before the head injury because it was when he was popping off about uh, about. Oh goodness, what was the line? Howl at the moon for all I care. Yeah, but that started there, but that was him being angry. But after that, I've seen that they're 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 drawing him as as acting a little weird. They they drew Samara as acting weird, and I'm thinking that they may be something to what happened to Katerina that had to do with a head injury and maybe she wasn't the same. Maybe. I mean, and if they are working towards that, kind of like that because honestly one it would make more sense why they put so much light on the the head injury for red which wasn't making much sense to me within the the course of the episode until we get to the end of the season though i mean i'm kind of withholding full judgment on that mm-hmm. but they also did the same with kaplan and the migraines that's the true um let's see uh but but trying to stick to some more uh what did you think about that phone call the what? The phone call. Well, the, they got phone a phone call. A yes, the phone call. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I I thought it was beautiful. Um, I I'm the not gonna lie. I mean, the lake. Yes. Well, I mean, I I think that her brain was going to because she she follows up by if you would have if you would have asked me to marry you, my love, I would have said yes. Like that was what she was focused on. So you're right. You know, it's. It's a brain injury, and it's also fear with adrenaline, with you know everything that was mixing up. I mean, that's that's one cocktail going on there. Um, and so it was. I thought it was a, a beautiful thing between them. Um, it's it's a bit cliche that you know it takes you to get to that point, but you know it's. I say that, but it's also something I do in my own writing. It's it's a. Mm-hmm. Partially cliche, but it's cliche because it's such it a works. good tool. It's it's cliche as, because it's a great tool says, for the genre. Uh, things get to be cliches because they work. Yes. 
Yes, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying cliche in a bad way because mm. because it's while part of me goes, oh, why did they have to get to that point? The other part goes, it was a beautiful scene. It was a beautiful conversation. You know, it's like just as long as she's okay, I'll be okay with this. Um, something I, I have in my notes that was interesting. Um, it said new level of badassery using the tire iron that you were impaled with to try to pry open the door. Because I noticed that when she was trying to pry open the gate, the front of the, mm-hmm. she was using the same tire iron that she'd like oh, yeah. pulled out oh, of blood. herself. It was blood all over. Yeah, yeah. And I said that is a whole new level right there. <laughs> yeah, that was um, uh, the, the the scenes were were. I mean, it was really really graphic. I mean, I'm amazed how much the show can get away with it in the at night. Yeah. Um. It's uh, and it's funny because it didn't have even a caution. I mean, at least with with Tom, they had that. I mean, this is somebody taking out this tire that she's looking at it, and it's like all the way in her. Yeah. No, I mean it was a good several inches in. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that that sucked right there. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, and that was a blunt object too. <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I th- I thought it was very interesting the way they handled it. I mean, I knew as soon as they were in that blissful thing that Aram was the only one that had not been damaged. I mean, yes, he was in the gray in the sense that he followed his own compass always, but not in the sense that the other ones had. That wrestler had Audrey die, listed at uh, Tom died. Cooper uh, discovered the wife having an affair. Renner, somebody died. To be fair, Rom did have uh, Elise slash Janet, who... Yeah, but that was a minor thing. Nobody died. You know, hey, he got con. I think a Rom Rom wouldn't call it a minor thing. (laughs) In the grand scheme of things of getting... I mean, for him, it was big, and he changed him, but it wasn't, it wasn't like... It was it was not wrestler with Audrey Dine. Fair. Let let's move into a rom. Or right, that's a good segue into a rom. I loved a rom in this this episode. Pushing the boundaries. If you kill her, we will kill you. That was probably one of my favorite lines I've ever heard Amir utter. I mean, it was just because I mean, this is a rom who had issues in season one with shooting a terrorist that was trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he oh, he had nightmares over it. He had a little PTSD over this and maybe not even a little, maybe a lot. Uh, he's all therapist over it. And this man has come to this point five years later and said, if you kill her, we will kill you. I mean, and granted, he's not talking about taking a gun himself and popping in between the eyes. But, but he already did something like that. Well, that's true. That's true. But and I, he I wasn't think, a gun. Well, I, I mean, think, when he goes for something, he goes for something big. I know. Love him. Um, but I do think that if it had come down to Samar's life and he was looking the man in the eye, he would have taken the shot. I don't doubt that for an instant. And so, and just, not need any therapy afterwards. No. Um, maybe some nightmares, but may, I don't think it would have taken it straight to therapy. Um, I just, I, I really liked that. I liked seeing that. I liked... I, Amir, I, I told someone after the episode, I said, Amir was as on point as he was in the director episodes. Do you remember that scene mm-hmm. when, when he had the gun on the director? And yes. I mean, like he had snot pouring out of his nose. 
That was, from what I read at the time, that was not planned. That was just a mirror, like, sobbing, you know, in the moment. And it was such a brilliant scene. And he was on par in this, like, 90% of this episode, I would say, was on par with that. I mean, mm-hmm. he's come so far. I, I think he's been talented since he showed up on the scene. But he you can just see the growth that he's had. And... Jim, did you notice, did you hear the interview talking about how much it was in the planning and, and performing of that stunt in the water? It was like a week and a half planning the stunt. You know, I did see some, some uh, photos that he posted on Instagram, and I was a little disappointed. And I feel like if I ever get into TV, the, it, you lose some of the magic to it because you see all the behind the scenes stuff. Um, it wasn't a lake. They weren't doing that in a lake. It was a body of water. They had full control, which makes sense to keep the safety for the actors and everything. I mean, it totally yeah. makes sense. I'm not knocking that at all, but it was so bizarre to see the actual scene where the car was in the water. And I'm just going, oh, <laughs> I mean, like, and I'm not saying that like they should have done it and risked the actors. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that it loses a little bit of the magic. Oh, uh, for me, it gains magic. That is awesome. It, it gains a whole nother layer. I, you, you switch one layer for the other, I suppose. Yeah, it was it was uh, well done. It was, you know, that scene was just heartbreaking at the hospital. And, and especially because at first you, you see the hole in the hand and you go back to when they met. And, yeah, you know, I actually I asked the other uh, hospital. I asked, and then it, she like, oh no 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 wait no 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 she's unconscious. Well, I asked Whimsy and something for uh for a parallel set in which she she produced <laughs> very quickly for me. I'm like on my way to bed, going, can you do this for me? And she's in um in um Australia, so she's on the opposite end of the day. And uh, so by the time I woke up, she had this gorgeous parallel set, you know, of, of uh, you know, season two versus season five. Um, honestly, during the whole proposal scene, I mean, it was sweet. It was. Um, I wish they would have done it when she was conscious. But, you know, what do you do? It's part of the drama. Um, and so uh, about the only ones that I can handle well is when somebody is, is unconscious. I don't generally like them. <laughs> they make me uncomfortable. As I as I said, I'm I'm not a super because I'm deeply uncomfortable in a mo- in romantic situation. I say I'm not I'm not a prude. Sex doesn't bother me. It's romance that makes me deeply uncomfortable. I, yeah, and see, I can't wrap my mind around that. Anyway, what, what I was going to say about that was the uh, I I liked the proposal, but I was just, I sat there the entire time waiting for her to crash out. Because that's... Oh, I knew that was going to happen. I knew well, that that well, was... Well, she didn't. She didn't crash out. And I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, good job, guys. I'm proud of you for breaking that one. Because, I mean, that that is super cliche and not because it works. I mean, it just... They, they went out. I was very proud of them for not crashing her at the end of that. Well done. Yeah, they did good. <laughs> so he did good guys alright let's go into Liz Liz unless you have anything for Ram and Samar I don't okay um, so with Liz I, I had a couple of quotes in here that I really liked um, there was one uh, at the beginning 
when uh, when Red brought Primlan, which is a whole other thing that we can get to in Red. But um, he says something about Kaplan, and Liz goes, she did not pass. She killed herself so that I could get the duffel bag. It was her dying wish. Feel free to honor it. And it just, it was such a funny moment. Not because it's, like, funny that Kaplan died, because I'm still bitter over Kate Kaplan's death. But... Little Kaplan in a very different Oh, life. I know. You and I view Kate very differently. Um, I always very much liked Kate. and I love Kate, but I don't <laughs> think that she was innocent at all. Well, of course she wasn't innocent, but I don't think she was quite as malicious as you think she was. Um, yeah. I, I think it was interesting on multiple levels because, one, I think that Liz is still better over Kate. I think that she still blames Reddington over Kate. Two... I think that she's learned from Red. Don't pass up a good opportunity. You know, this is here, and I'm going to put a jab in. And so she's saying, so this person that you say that you, you, you know, would like to honor, feel free to honor her dying wish. You don't care about my husband, so what about Kate Kaplan? It was her dying well, wish, too. Oh, okay. Uh, I felt there that there was, um, w- w- what we're talking there is that did Kate had any reason or any right to dig that bag out and give it to Liz? Um, there, there's this is and this is complex because I do not question that once the bag was dug and Kate gave it to Tom to give to Liz, and I know that the secrets pertain to Liz because they pertain to Katerina via the apology and to Dom via the Oleander. So I do not question that, but I do question that Liz doesn't think that that wasn't Kate's secret to dog. And after a woman who had tried to poison uh, Red, took all her money, almost sent her to jail, um, Tom wasn't even mentioned. So whatever plan she had for Tom, he wasn't going to make it out of there. And, um, and frame Dembe for trying to murder Red. And, and this is after she basically used Liz fear and being pumped full of drugs after she was chasing in an eight month of pregnancy to sell her that faking her death was a good idea. So I, I'm not sure how Liz makes that leap that that was her dying wish and feel free to honor it. I mean, Kate was of ever the things that you could tell. She was never about giving Liz the truth. In fact, she always, she was contrary to Red uh, surrendering because it was going to damage her, her, um, her uh, innocence. And then she never wanted to give her the truth. And when she decides she wants to give her the truth, it's after trying to put her in jail. So I'm not sure that I can buy happy, cute, loving Kate. Well, to be fair, uh, to, to give Liz a little bit of credit here, I, I think that Liz did not necessarily know everything that you just stated. I, I think that she may not have been focused on that. When, when someone offers her the truth... Liz gets hyper-focused on that, and she, she works yeah. in on, this person is offering me the truth, they, they're giving me a path to the truth, they are my biggest ally, and she follows that. And the second thing is, exactly what I said a minute ago, that 
she is taking a note out of Red's book and the she's taking advantage of the situation. Here's this woman that Red is at least partially responsible for her death. It doesn't really matter what anybody wants to say. He was the one that took the shot first. And she was... Uh, they made it pretty clear that she was at least very sick off of those migraines that she was having, if not actually dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I don't think he is absolved of her eventual in death, no matter how much I will give him props over not taking that second shot. And and at the time I said it, I said, I have to give him props here. I am proud of him. He did not take that second shot. And I am still proud of him for not doing that. In the, in the moment, in the time that he had, he made the best call he could. That doesn't absolve him from the first shot. It just means that once you've made a decision, all you can do is better from then on. You cannot change the past. And so, and he did. He did better in that moment. And I'm proud of him. I, I will continue to be proud of him for that. But there, there is that, that he was partially responsible for her death, that he had a great deal of respect for this woman. She was the one that he told all of his deep, dark secrets to. No, and so, about that. A lot, a lot of deep, dark secrets, too. There you go. No, um, I'm sorry. Can... You're right. You know, you're totally right. A lot of deep, dark secrets, too. And so Liz is taking that and she's using that. She's not letting this moment pass. And she says, you know, and and she she's jabbing that knife in a little bit and using that to her advantage. And so I think it's a manipulation tactic to a great deal. And oh, yeah. And it's it's using reds. Um, But it was (laughs) here's the thing. And here's what leads into the next part that I have in my notes. There was, I haven't been reading very many of the articles because I just can't stomach them anymore. I haven't been able to stomach them since the fall finale. I, they make me angry. I'm not even going to go into everything. But someone passed over a TV guide, um, a TV guide article to me. And, And when someone passes it to me, I try to at least skim it. And there was this great line in there. It said, if there's one positive development in this storyline, it's how persistently it's how persistent Liz has been in reminding her father of his broken promises and general assholery. Instead of TV yeah. guide, and I said that was such a lovely line. It was such a well constructed, fantastic moment. I don't remember who the writer was, but whoever you were, you beautiful soul, props to you in both the structure of your sentence and the goal there. Because it was, it's so true. It's, I felt like Liz this entire time was just looking at him and going, could you stop doing that? You know, the part where you're being such a jerk. Because uh, as we were talking about earlier, he just was such an ass to her the entire time. He was. Um, I don't know that I call it an ass to her. I would. Um, I think it's the situation is getting extremely interesting to me because for we saw during season four and the beginning of season five, we saw Liz kind of uh, dusting off the red part of here. You know, she was she was fully becoming her father's daughter. And I think that in the second part, what we're seeing is, is Liz becoming her mother's daughter. 
I think Katerina, for what we've seen Katerina, she's really odd. She is a little cold, um, very calculating. I've always, um, I, I'm surprised people don't don't see that scene that the way I see it. But when she hires Kate, that is a seduction. It may not have involved sex at all, but there is a seduction, even in the way that she says, you know, when I'm here, your job is to watch me carefully. And she gets up and she sits closer. It's such a seductive scene. She knows the, the, the full extent of the, of the impact she's having on this awkward nanny obsessed with cadavers. And it, she knows what she's doing perfectly well and she goes ahead and she just like gets in there and she's not letting go. So I think that that's what we're seeing. We're seeing Liz becoming her mother's daughter. I could see that. I could definitely see that. It, it's a, it's a very interesting um, trajectory for, for a character that they have drawn to me. Um, I, I love, the, we're talking about red now and I, I can tell you one thing well, about Liz, red. Liz in red. Oh, we're talking about, okay. We're talking Liz. Thank you. I don't, I'm not following the, today Jan is in charge of keeping us in track. I know how so. terrifying that is everybody. It's like, like I said at the beginning of the episode, we're having some technical difficulties. Uh, we, we typically use video chat to do this so that we don't talk over each other nearly as much because we're both very excitable not that you haven't realized that in the last two seasons that we've been doing this podcast but uh apparently skype decided that it hates us today mm, but bad connection yeah um so so i found liz very interesting because she is head on with red and and she is just I mean, she's just slightly less callous than Red in the fact that she actually stays until Samar is rescued. But and, and she can say, "I can't believe you're doing this," and and I couldn't believe it either. I couldn't believe that that um, excuse my French crap. Red was pulling about. Oh, I did all I could. No, Red. In the past, you've done a lot more than that. You've actually brought people home, and Samar burn a, a source in order to bring Liz and Wrestler home. Samar was the one who went and and gave Liz the coordinates in the King of in the Kings of the Road. Samar stole evidence from you from a from a uh, FBI transport. There's a lot that Red owes to Samar. And I felt that he was extremely callous to her well-being. I agree. And, I mean, just just the idea of him... I mean, his idea of, oh, well, I offered you Brimley. What else do you want me to do? Now I'm juggling. It's And the fact that at the first possible moment that he could possibly move to try to get ahead of Liz in this, this race to the finish, which I will get into later... But this idea that he, he just basically didn't want to sit around for Samar and make sure she was okay and do any, if anything else had popped up, he could have been there. He really didn't care. And that, In was, fact, that was troublesome because he's always been very fond of Samar. Yes. It, it's like Ren and Liz share a single handle focus on things once they get in there that mm -hmm. is it's troublesome. 
And I, the hyper focus. Yes, the rant on this on this episode was a you know he was funnier and but he was an it's like the mask has been peeling and that yeah I always go back to that to the promo pictures and in the previous promo picture in season four we got read the mask peeling and we're been looking behind the mask and some of it has been you know, tender and, and human. And we've seen his vulnerable state and we have seen how terrified he was when Liz found that, that he was his father, her father, and, you know, offering her to walk away with that look of, you know, during the headlights that she's going to reject me. And that was very moving. We have seen moving scenes with him and Dembe. And at the same time, we've seen this other red. So, the the more we peel the mask, the more we find, you know, a, a far more stark reality, both in the in the in the tender things, in the vulnerable things, as in the callousness. It's there's just been a lot of callousness thing. One of the one of the funny things that I want to say about first, I love seeing Brimley. Whenever Brimley appears and whatever he's he's, I I thought about you when they said the holistic approach to 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 things. I thought, ah, oh, there you go. That's a nod to uh, to Dirk Gently. So yes, I, I thought about that as well. Um, but I thought it was very interesting that they bring a badger. Uh, it was I'm, bizarre. And, okay, I, I have some statements about that as well, but go. Okay, I absolutely adore the badger because one of the things that I have, and I don't know if you remember when we started commenting on season four, I said in season, up until then, we had seen the magician perform the tricks. And then we started seeing the magician rehearsing the tricks. And in this season, and we've gone back to that image of of Red as an illusionist, of Red as a magician making a trick. And most of what he does is exactly the way he describes the troll farm, an illusionist that creates, it's basically information warfare because he creates realities that that seem perfectly real, but they're not. They're all make-believe in order to create an impression that has an effect. And uh, this badger is an illusionist. Is it? Is it? Is an actor that can look ferocious and make anybody believe anything? Except he's an actor and has a very nice personality. So I thought it was a very, very interesting uh, segue into bringing back Red the Magician. Uh, I just found it a very bizarre situation. Like, from start to finish with Brimley. Um, so, I, I have this all in my notes because it, I love Brimley. Um, I was partially kind of weirded out that they brought him back at all. Not because I'm sad that Brimley came back because he's he's hilarious. I, I, I remember being so proud of him when he finally got Timbe's name right. Mm. Um, he gets everybody's name wrong. He's just a little off. He's a little kooky like everybody else that Red employs. But he's the only one that's lasted through. They they killed Baz without bothering to actually say that they killed him. They had to tell us that off screen, which I threw a hissy fit about, if you remember, in season four. Um, but they, they killed Baz. They killed Kate. Um, 
who else have been some of the uh who are the big ones that have been around? Well, Marvin Gerard is in prison. I hope they bring uh, him. Marvin's either in prison. Or he might have gotten out, but he's obviously not with Red. And so, like, all these people that Red's had around him are gone, except for Brindley. And Brindley left, but then he came back when Red had money. And that, that was the thing that when got he me. he protect him. It's not about the money. It's that, about being, being Yeah, able the to protection. Protect the protection. And that was the thing that got me in this episode, was that he made a very big deal over the fact that, because it's not like Red had really lost the FBI at that point. Even if he didn't have his his contacts, he hadn't quite been cut loose by the FBI at that point. And so, but we still had Brimley saying, you know, until you get everything back, you know, you can't protect me, I'm not willing to go to prison, yada, yada, yada. But he's willing to march into a black site with the FBI and work with the, it just, it seems so bizarre to me. Maybe he's just looking for a, another employer. I don't know. It just, it was bizarre. <laughs> it didn't make sense. And it just, it honestly, what it felt like and what the badger felt like to me was that the writers right now are stretching and they don't have enough information to fill the and it just that's where I feel like they're at right now is they've got where they used to count their words where everything had multiple meanings twisted to the side and every which way had multiple meanings. Now it's like we didn't know what to do. So we filled it with a badger. I love the badger. You may love Especially the badger. Because- I don't have anything against the badger. I'm just saying he felt like a time time filler. See, I didn't feel that. I I, oh, I, I because what I saw is. Here it is. They bring in you an illusionist. So, and this goes back. I have a theory going on that um that I'm cracking the numbering of a blacklist. And among the things that I have cracked is that Red describes himself as an illusionist. So there is, you know, there is something in in bringing a, a badger that is supposedly this ferocious thing, but it's not. That to me is appealing to maybe Red being undercover and not being mm. the criminal that he's not. Um, uh, everything about me is a lie. I don't know, and and I hope there's something deeper to it. It felt like a time filler to me. Yeah, um, yeah, we're gonna see. I mean, we're very, very close. Um to to these things um can i say that we also got also fish reference in the mackerel and another coin did you notice that and another option yes. like the king yeah you're right I, I didn't think about the coin but you're right yeah. um so let, let's move towards uh unless you have anything else to add let's move towards the end because there's some overlap of liz and red at the end with that yeah whole... then I'm, I'm gonna want to talk about the bones because it's time to okay. start getting Doctions and Putter, you gotta have a firm stance going into the next episode. Who you think is in the bag? I don't have a firm stance, no. But you're gonna have to get one. I know that that's inaccurate. I don't have to do anything. Okay, three three best choices, please. No, I don't have anybody. <laughs> it's their turn to actually do their freaking jobs and figure out who's in the freaking bag. Oh, <laughs> I've I done this already. Go. I, you know, I kid you not that I, I threw such a fit coming up with the, the plot points for my current story because in uh, Demons at the Door that I wrote at the end of Redemption, it was my Redemption wrap when I didn't know if they were going to wrap it or not before we got the cancellation alert. 
Um, and I think halfway through writing it, I realized that we weren't getting any more redemption. I was like, oh, well, okay. Um, I, I came up with an ending for the bones. Um, and at, at that time it was, oh God, I think it was a cabal member that Katarina had murdered that was going to get her and everybody around her killed. And so Reddington had hid the, the bones away and she had committed, you know, quote unquote, committed suicide to basically take the heat off of Masha. Okay. And that, that was, that was the go. Is okay, but somebody... that, that, that is not supported by this oh, current no, 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 thing. No. I, I, I don't think at all that's canon. That's what I'd come up with for it uh, going into season five. I think In other was... words, you're not taking a stance. I don't have one. Okay, let's, let's wrap up and then we'll go into the bones. <laughs> Uh, what about what else do you have about red? Okay, um, so I, the, the remaining information I've got in my notes that I want to cover has to do with the whole spiel at the end. Um, there was something bizarre, and Allie had a very Allie Blacklister had a very interesting theory. I don't know if you saw it uh, on Tumblr. Yeah, I think somebody reblogged it on. I did. On, uh, I did. Um, no more. Well, I know that you did, but when I saw it, somebody else had reblogged yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I don't somebody, follow her. She she has me blocked. So. Yeah, I know. Um, but anyway, and so, but but I saw it on there, and the idea was that maybe Liz, um, basically sets up her own kidnapping, and to to try to get information about the bones. And I love that idea. I hope that's where they go because you've heard me. I want smart Liz getting one over on Red. That's what I love. I, I miss that. I feel like we've almost gotten there and then we just fade off of it at every turn. And so I'm hoping that we get there and that would be a lovely thing. But there, on my rewatch yesterday when I was going through it, we're recording this on Friday evening. Uh, so when I was doing a rewatch on Thursday evening... There was something about the way she just walked up there, flashed a badge, and the look Gonzalez gave her. He just looks at her like, you're late. Would be, you know, if his expression said anything, that would be it. Like, he was expecting her, he wasn't surprised. Who said that? Gonzalez. Uh, Gonzalez. I mean, he was... I'm not, I'm not sure I follow you. No, uh, Gonzalez was the, was the guy that was running the auction. And so yes. there's a very small scene where Liz walks up and she's talking to one of the thugs that he has. She flashes a bag, badge and says, Elizabeth Keene, FBI. And then it pans over to Gonzalez. And he's just got this yes. very casual look on his face like he knew she was coming. He was expecting her. It just, there was nothing hostile about him like there was with Red. His entire demeanor was hostile with Red. Not at all with Liz. There was something going on there. And I really like Allie's theory that she has something up her sleeve. And that next week is not what we're expecting. Hmm. I really like that. Um, I, I think it, it would be very neat. I particularly... Don't think it's going to be the case. Um, I don't know why I wouldn't put know how to put my finger on. It would be a very, very neat thing to do. Um, and there is a, a scene in that preview where she's like looking through a window that can't could be. Um, but something tells me no. Um, there, there is... Um, 
there is something in in all this thing about Southern Rose that I find extremely interesting. About what? Um, about Southern Rose okay. uh, and Ross, that the guy who gets the 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 bag right, and right. that scene at the end when you know he's telling you know uh, Smokey and and Red and Dembe are talking, and he says. Um, you know, he, he was. I thought he was dead, and then Garvey uh, faked their death. So I think that there's something there that could be said about what happened there. Um, I find it interesting because whenever we get one of those repeated names that usually ties to the past, and we have had Patty Sutton, the one that that uh, was like tasted like the the rum soaked uh, pastries. Uh, we had Mrs. Sutton, that was the the, the teacher, that that abominable teacher in the in the um, baby shower, uh, in Asher's in Asher. Yeah. So I found that interesting. I, where we get those kind of names? I feel like sometimes that means something, and sometimes someone just knows someone named something, and they go with it. I mean, like there's really no telling mm-hmm. outside of the the writers' room. Um, because I, I know a lot of the names come from personal acquaintances, friends, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, it's interesting that Garvey was the one who, um, protected him from bread by faking the death. Uh, and I'm starting to think if, you know, the, the there seems to be a, a, in, among the fandom, some people saying, you know, something really bad happened to Red Family. And I'm thinking, I would have thought, how could they protect Carla unless they make believe that Carla was dead? And I wonder if, and I've always wondered if there was like a fake crime scene made that made Red think that everybody had been killed. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, because talking about all the blood, I mean, when he was uh, with, uh, what's her name? Um, Madeline, Madeline Pratt. Yeah. It's a it's an interesting segue there that we may have had a, a fake crime scene at some point. So, uh, are you ready to start talking about the bones, or you uh, got no, something else on yet. the episode? I, I have a little bit more. Um, and so there were a couple mm-hmm. of things that I wanted to touch on. Uh, a couple of quotes. Uh, I've apparently gone from parallels to quotes. Um, <laughs> this is how how I've uh, evolved here. Um, there was the quote that Red gave. It said. You follow me where you don't belong. Watch tapes that are none of your business. You do what you know I don't want to do. What you know I don't want you to do. And you disappoint me. Yet somehow at the same time you impress me. And there was just something about that. that I've talked about over and over again. How he treats her like a child. And at least the first, you know, three-fourths of that, that statement that he made to her was just, it was like a father talking to a rebellious teenager. You you disappoint me. Okay, that's nice. You know, it's, it was, uh, it was insulting to her intelligence. It got a little bit better there at the end with the follow-up, but not just a great deal more. And it just, I, I had someone, I don't remember who it was over, probably on Tumblr, make the comment that they said they almost felt like they didn't even know if Red liked her anymore. You know, just the way he was reacting to her. And I have to agree that it's... The way he was reacting to her in this episode just felt like she's his new 
maybe not big bad, but his new competition. He's treating her the way that he would treat any competition in his business that he wasn't necessarily willing to kill, but that he was going to fight tooth and nail against. You know, you know the ones that he's always fond of that, like he would never actually yeah. hurt, but but he's got a, a a rivalry with, and that's how he's treating his daughter and. You and I have talked about the fact that he doesn't seem to really know how to treat family versus business. Don't you find it interesting, like when he was going to Wujing and taking her or introducing or having, you know, telling her about Mary and and Molly and the, the housewife printing money? Oh, I it's do think it's interesting that all of from that from that way. All of a sudden, he's going. Mm-hmm. My people are my own. When he's been dragging her around to everybody and never seems to have an issue introducing her before. And suddenly his people are his own. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I think it's a very different thing. Is like coming off of age, you know, like when, when uh, it happens sometimes that, you know, the, the, the father tried to be a little pushy and the, and the kid just reacts and says, hey, you know what, I'm not a kid anymore. And suddenly you start treating, you start being treated very differently like an adult. It feels like they're in a way, Red is doing this. See, I don't get that. I I just get that he's putting more, even more distance. Like, he always had a lot of distance mm-hmm. because he treated her like a child. And now he's just, he's treating her even less. I mean, it's not, it's not even as a child anymore. He's treating her like a, a rival, not even family. A stranger. And, yeah, a stranger. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, isn't it funny? Because when we met Jennifer and we saw the way he was with Jennifer, everybody was like, oh, but I don't know. He seems like so so eager to put his life down the line. And I think that Red will put his life on the line for either daughter. Uh, but I don't think that Red now treats Liz any different than he did that he treats Jennifer. The relative strangers to him, uh, they're both against him. Liz is, is is trying to find something that he doesn't want her to find out, and and that has that is more important. He will still lay his life on the line for her, but that doesn't mean that he likes her very much at this point, or or that he considers uh, her well-being among before everything else. I that, that's uh, I, I keep going back to something that's been really weighing on me with this show is that there was an interview years ago that James did. He said, Raymond Reddington is not a good person. And really stressed to the the fandom to remember that. And that's always sort of stuck with me with this idea of what happens if in the end he has some ulterior motive that we, we have not foreseen and we get blindsided by this because he's our anti-hero, he's our male lead, and so we want him, like I've said for years, to have this redemption arc and to find this path and to be better. Wait, wait, wait. That, we sound like like too many people in there. I'm not included in there. No, you know, I, remember I, I, that I said, I've always said... What did I say? I said, like I've said for years. I know, but we, like we expect... Uh, there's a lot of so, people that expect that. That's a general uh, idea of that you expect your, your anti-hero at the beginning to, to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens if in the end he's he's just a horrible human Red. being? 
<laughs> he's just red. I mean, it's like there is. I think that what we're seeing here is the red that is that exists underneath it all. Um, I mean, we've seen red when he's so worried about Liz, and and you know he's alone. He's not making a scene about things. He worries about her. He loves her, and in a way, he compartmentalizes his life. It, to an extent that, in this point, Liz is the enemy. And is an enemy he cannot kill. It's so bizarre, considering he created his entire... his entire business, supposedly, to protect her. Yeah, in his terms. And in he's, the terms- he's lost so much of himself to this. I also think that there is something in that statement that is not exactly that people tend to forget. Um, he said that he created that empire in order to keep her safe and him free. And him free is just as important as at least safe. And, and I do think that the most important thing in red life, surprisingly, is not Liz. I've always said it, it's Katerina. Liz, because it's an extension, but I think it's Katerina. This is all about Katerina. And I've, in my, I've, you've said, heard me saying, I think that this thing is a whole misunderstanding between two forces of nature. They are forces of nature. That's certainly, certainly accurate. In order, in order to to go into why do I think Red is acting this way, I have to go into who I think is in the bag. I think in the bag is the fate is the real Carla Reddington, and she may actually be Jennifer's biological mother. I think that that this woman. Um, that we met in 201 and to 204 is actually Katerina. And I think that that Red has been protecting Katerina and at the same time, extremely angry at Katerina. So in a way, I think that Liz reminding him of Katerina, it's not exactly working in Liz's advantage at this point. Okay, Uh, well, let's move. So I think that, that there is something in, in this bag that Red is protecting more than, than he's protecting Liz, and I think it's Katerina. I think Red loves Katerina more than anybody else. I could see that. It doesn't mean I agree with his <laughs> response to life, but I could see it. Well, think about the way that we're seeing Liz be regarding avenging Tom and protecting Tom when he was alive versus him with 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 her with Agnes. Because whatever they may be, I think that Liz has is anything but a stellar mother. She's she's actually a pretty bad mother. She's a mother that was convinced that her eight month old that her baby born a month premature was better off off with mother faking her death for God knows how many months until she could be reunited with the baby who really never bonded with her baby to begin with. So again, you have good fathers and bad mothers, bad mummies all over. Oh, bad mommy. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, but I don't think Red's a stellar father. I mean, in fact, I don't think he's even a good father. I, I think he doesn't think he's a good father. I mean, it's... Uh, the last thing I have on on my notes about Reddington is that our sprint mm-hmm. to the finish statement. Mm-hmm. It, it goes back to referring to it like a sort of game. And, like, it's... It's just another... It's just another treasure hunt. It's just another adventure he's on. Mm-hmm. When it's it, it it dulls down what it is cost Liz. I just I remember Liz sitting there in her live or in her dining room with Tom in season one. She goes, "Stop talking about your job. This is our life. This is my life." And that's I feel like Liz has been screaming that since season one. This is my life. And Tom got it. Finally. He finally got it. And he respected it. And as he started understanding that, he looked at at Red and said, you were the one that hurts her most. And that has just continued on. And that Red continues to hurt her the most. When times are good between Liz and Red, they're great. They have fun, they go off on the run, they, you know, hijack a car, they break into a place, they follow some leads, they have a blast. When things are bad, they're really bad. And he, the thing is, Red could just drop everything and go off to Vienna or Paris or what have you. This is Liz's life. She has lost her husband, her child, and she are separated. I know you don't think she's a very good mom, but still, that's something on her radar. And every time Red says, oh, well, you know, you won't spend a day away from Magnus, you don't have to. I just want to hand him, you know, it <laughs> It goes back to the TV Guide uh, quote, all the broken promises and general assholery. That is Reddington in a nutshell this season, that he just keeps, keeps, keeps downgrading and belittling and mocking Liz's pain that she's living her life in, just seeping into and burrowing down in, and she can't get out of because everybody she loves is connected to this. I I, I think that the one thing I that, that distinguishes me from a lot of other people is I don't expect Red to be redeemed. I I said Red is perfectly what he is because that's who he had to be in order to survive. I never, I don't really expect, even if he's proven to be running an undercover mission, he, that's not redemption. That's just who he is. He's still the person he is. And I think that is one thing that is very important here. And uh, we've been talking about Jennifer a lot. And I thought about this. When one of the things that we have learned is that Red has led enemies to have brought danger to Liz's life many, many times. He takes her from the Summer Palace. 
correct? And people, most people agree about that. Yeah. I have, a, I have a, a, a an additional step for the queen of kidnappings, uh, which is that she gets kidnapped one more time. And I think that makes a difference for me. I can see how Red brought danger to her life. And then he came, he, he, he was afraid and evaluated his vulnerability. And he decides to go and hire himself a guy of the appropriate age to take a look and keep an eye on the daughter of a famous honey drop. And then when the guy falls in love with her, he fl- flies to her wedding in a rage, and he's being trapped by one of his enemies. And he brings that enemy right to Liz's door. And then he surrenders to the FBI and brings again more, more to danger to that. Then Peter Kotsiopoulos decides to prove that he doesn't have the fulcrum by hiring Braxton. And Braxton and, and Peter had no idea who she, she was. Until he leads them right to to uh, the factory, and Braxton realized that she is the girl in the girl in the night of the fire. And now Peter knows that she's Katerina's daughter. So consistently, Red's care had been bringing danger to Liz, and it makes sense of what Carla does to tell Jennifer. You know, you get us. You have to to put the fear of God of the fear of dread in Jen, in in Jennifer because it's the only way. If he hide, the only way that she's going to be safe from Red. If he's Red, it, she's just not on Red's radar. She's dangerous. He's reckless. He thinks that people do things just because he tells them to. He expects people to obey him, whether they're, you know, uh, employees who have to obey him or family members who don't. There is an inherent danger in recklessness in belief that he is infallible. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, that's about all I've got. I all right. So give me your your come on. Give me at least who you think it might be, I really or who do. you think it, it is not. Do you think it might be the real Reddington? No, and this, I, this I, I don't think post. I don't think there's okay. a second Reddington. Okay, great. So see, we're not one out. How about the real Katerina Rostova? I don't know. That, that's all I got. Is I don't think that they're going to do a swap on Reddington. Okay. So you got no idea if it can be a, a real Katerina Rostova, fake Katerina. I, I, let me put it this way. It's not so much I don't know. It's that I just don't care anymore. Okay. I mean, Fair that enough. sounds harsh. I just don't give a flying rip anymore. It's They have carried this on too long. They lost too many people over the daddy issue. And now they've lost too many people and good actors and good writers over this issue. And just... It's just done and done. Just get the get the secret out there, get it over with, and let us move on. And if they get, oh, as we're recording this, I would think by the time it's up, hopefully we'll know if we have a season six or not. But as of right now, at Friday at eight ten Central Time and you know nine ten Eastern Time, we don't know if the blacklist is coming back for season six. Who knows? Maybe whatever John did for next week is what we've got. Well, um, 
<laughs> it may be. I hope um, not. So, I, I'm going to throw uh, a huge fit if it is. <laughs> okay. So I, I, at least I have actually I have more faith in, in, than you in, in the renewal and in the writers, uh, which is hilarious. I stopped paying so much attention to props because the props are a little weird, but there is some things that I, that, that, that I think there is, I don't think is a fake Reddington. Because a fake Reddington doesn't solve the two side of equations. Basically, what I see in this in this bag of bones is that it's a point of confluence for Katerina, for Red's lover and and love child, and wife and child, and and that is that is a a peculiar point because imposter Red doesn't solve the Carla Jennifer equation side of the equation because. A fake Reddington post-1990 would be more dangerous to Carla and Jennifer than a real Reddington because that is something they can identify as not being Reddington. And that would have, if that's what he's going for, that's going to be the most dangerous thing for, it, for this person. So I don't think that solves anything, and it should be taken completely off the table. I don't know why people are still in there. To me, it, it, is, it has nothing that makes any sense. Uh, and Reddington's power doesn't derive from being Reddington. It derives from who he is because he can make this amazing charades and, and illusions that that gets him what he wants. And he's ruthless and willing to do whatever he needs to do. Um, so I don't think it is a, a fake Red. I, I don't think a fake Katerina will go anywhere. And so I am left with a, a actual confluence of my two theories that I've had of um, who is Katerina. The, f- the first, my f- very, very first theory about Carla and Katerina was that, the, that Carla was um, a, an, a spy and her identity had been given to Liz's mother. And I think that that is uh, actually what I'm going with combined with the second theory that the woman we met in season two is Katerina. And this I, this woman in the back is the actual Carla Reddington, who was a Soviet spy, who targeted Red, and who then was, whose identity was used by Reddington by providing a woman who was almost a doppelganger, Katerina. That's how he met Katerina when he had to, she had to pretend to be his wife. And now with an entry to the KGB because she was supposed to be a spy. Maybe one that they nobody knew. Maybe that's how Oleander came to be Oleander because she needed to, fi- to have a father who was a spy. So I think that the, in the bag is a real, the real Carla who's the fake, who's in Katerina is a fake Carla. Well, we'll see in a few days, I guess. Yeah, it's a complicated theory, and um, but I'm I'm super excited because everything that I that I've looked forward, you know, with a little snatch of of Emma, and still I have this odd feeling that Emma will come into the picture, um, uh, not as Jennifer. Maybe I got that wrong, but um, that she's somehow involved in this whole thing. So that's all I got, and until then, I am super excited for 
next uh, episode. Um, Our season finale of season five uh, will be airing on Wednesday, and so that will be our final main podcast. We're talking about doing one uh, where we can can talk to individual listeners. If anybody's interested in that, you know, ping us, let us know. I've had a couple of people reach out about that. Um, so yeah, um, you can catch us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. We're on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Tumblr. And until next week when we uh, will see this um, unfold and we will uh, talk with you then. And hopefully have some sort of answers. (laughs) Bye-bye. Yes. (laughs) Have a good one. Bye.